Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Glad to be with you tonight. If you're here in in person at 2740 Van Buren Street or if you're watching online on YouTube or Facebook, we welcome you. We're glad that you are here. Um, my name is John Homas. I'm the lead pastor here at New City. And I want to speak to you just briefly for about 10 minutes about, um, about the God behind the gospel. Part one tonight, obviously part two will be on Easter Sunday, but part one is called The Shape of the Cross. The Shape of the Cross. When one of my children was younger and we would talk to them about Jesus, their response was not to communicate with words. Their response was just to communicate doing this. They would just hold up this, and they might say Jesus, but they would just hold up this sign. They knew that when we were talking about the Bible or when we were talking about Jesus and what he had done, that there was something significant about just holding up this little sign. And it was interesting to me to think about how they picked that up. As they stood behind that shape and just held it out, they knew that there was something significant about the shape of the cross. And I, and I wondered how they, they came to that realization and what was going through their little mind as they held out that shape. Well, tonight, God holds out the shape of the cross to us. Who does that mean that he is? And what is going through his mind? And what does that tell us about his character? What does the shape of the cross tell us about the God behind the gospel? The cross is a, is a brutal symbol of oppression and torture. And we know from just reading the story that the cross was a bloody cross. It was a cross of suffering. It was a, a cross of death. It wasn't used for the first time on Jesus. It was an instrument that was used to punish criminals. And so what does the cross tell us about the God behind the gospel? Well, as God holds out that cross shaped to us, and as we understand that the, the good news is cross-shaped, we see more clearly the God behind the gospel. See, in, in verse 3 of our passage that Jessica read, Paul says, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. He's talking about the gospel. In the Greek, that simply means the good news. It's a proclamation of something that God has done on our behalf. And when he says it's the most important, Paul is telling us that it is the foundation of everything. In other words, you can build the walls of a house, but if you don't put that foundation down, it's not going to stand. And what Paul is saying is that the gospel, the good news, is the foundation of everything else. Now, the gospel is broad. Jesus says that the good news of the kingdom is now here, and we know that God's kingdom is in Invading this world as kingdom of righteousness and justice and love and mercy is coming to expression through the people of Jesus. But there's like a, a point of the spear that Paul wants us to see. There's something that without it, nothing else matters. And he says in verse 3, that is that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was risen again and that he appeared bodily to his followers. 
the most important is his death, burial, and resurrection. And when Paul says, according to the scriptures, what he's saying is everything about God's story in the Old Testament and the New Testament points to this. From the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve fall, we hear a prophecy about one who will come and make war with the serpent. And then through the historical books, a king is is promised to come who will rule and reign justly and righteously. And then throughout the prophets, we, we hear that this Messiah will come and that he will be one that's not looked upon with great esteem, but he will rather be despised by people. And then as we get to the Gospels, we see that Jesus is the one who has been prophesied about and that his work is heading straight to the cross. But what does that tell us about God, the God behind the gospel? In Isaiah 53, we have this passage that is important tonight. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. Our punishment was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord, the Lord, the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Iniquity means sin, and the Lord has punished Jesus for our sin. Now, when we read that and we see that this one, Jesus, was smitten by God and afflicted by God and that his punishment was put on him, some people think that the God behind the gospel must be spiteful, mean, juvenile, and unpredictable. As if the sins of the world just make him so angry, he says, I've got to kill somebody. Who can I kill? But there's a confusion there because that's not the God behind the gospel. We get confused and think that God is spiteful, mean, juvenile, and unpredictable when we see God through our lenses rather than seeing ourselves through God's lenses. We end up creating a God that's in our image rather than letting God be who he is and responding to him. See, the God behind the gospel is holy, righteous, and just. The God behind the gospel is holy, righteous, and just. Holy meaning he separates himself from sin. He is not like us. We get used to sin and we say, it's okay. God never gets used to sin because he is holy. But he's also righteous, meaning that he sets a standard for what sin is and he never changes his mind. But he's also just because he does not let sin go unchecked. We see trials that are happening right now in courtrooms around the country. And the reason that those trials are happening is because we want to have a sense of justice. Sin must be punished. Crime against people must be punished. God is the same way. When he sees sin, he is just. And so he, might, he must set things right. Now, to give you an illustration, I want you to imagine that while you're in here worshiping Jesus on Good Friday, your car in the parking lot gets keyed. I hope that doesn't happen. Security team, we might want to go check. But, li- but listen, if you have a car that's in the parking lot 
and it is a beat-up junker, and someone keys your car, you might go, eh, that's tough, but, I mean, it's already beat up, it's already fallen apart, not that big of a deal. But if you got a brand-new car this morning, you just bought that car. It's a nice sedan. It's got a good engine in it, lots of horsepower, full tank of gas, and you drive that car and you park it in there, and that car gets keyed, you might feel something different. Now, let's say this, that this morning, you won a brand new red Ferrari. And you say, I'm going to drive that to the Good Friday service. In fact, you call me ahead of time and say, Pastor John, I want a Ferrari. I don't want to park it next to all the other cars. Is there any way that we can open up the fence gate over here and I can park that car by itself behind the fence so that no one gets to it? And I would say, yes, as long as you give me a ride in it after the service. But let's say that someone goes over the fence and keys that red Ferrari. You're going to feel some strong feelings about that. Your sense of rightness, your sense of justice is offended because that car is different. That's the same with God. The problem is that we think God is a beat-up junker messing up our stuff. When in reality, God is perfect in all his ways. And we're the ones who have offended him. God is holy, righteous, and just. And when we violate his commands, when we sin against him, he doesn't just let those things pass. Our sin is offensive to him. Now, some people say, well, why can't God just accept me for who I am? But God is asking us the same question. I am holy, I am righteous, I am just. Why can't you let me be God? We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. God behind the gospel is not just holy, righteous, and just. The God behind the gospel is loving towards sinners, compassionate towards those who have offended him, merciful to his enemies. The God behind the gospel is also loving, compassionate, and merciful. He, he moves towards sinners so that he can reconcile with them. Though he stays separate from sin, he moves towards sinners to restore them to himself. And just like someone has to pay the price of fixing up that red Ferrari, someone has to pay the price for our sin. And that's why Jesus died. Because God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whosoever believes in him might not perish, might not Go under judgment, but have eternal life and be reconciled with God. Now, I saw on the internet the other day that, uh, you know, one of these Instagram theologians where they, there's like a 15-second video and they point and like little stuff comes up about what they're trying to say. I don't even know what that is. Hopefully you know what I'm talking about. But it's really hard to do theology in 15 seconds, but people try. But this person was trying to make the point that Jesus did not die for our sins. Jesus died because of political oppression, uh, something like that. 
And yet, what does it say in verse 3? Put that slide up. Verse 3 says, I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. That Christ died for our sins. This is called the atonement. That the penalty was paid because of God's great love. It was paid by Jesus' blood. That, that God's holiness and righteousness and justice is satisfied because someone hung on the cross as a cursed criminal in your place. God doesn't just sweep our sins under the rug. Rather, he pays for them in full by the blood of his son. And I know many people say, listen, I'm not into this religion thing. I'm not into following all these commands. I mean, isn't religion just about loving your neighbor? But I'll be honest with you, the older I get, the more that terrifies me. I was reading an author, and he said the older he gets, the more things he's, more he's worried about, not just the sins that he's committed, but the ways he should have loved others, and he didn't. He said that's what keeps him up at night, the way he's failed to love his spouse, the way he failed to love his kids, the way he failed to forgive his enemies, the way he's failed to love his neighbors well. Theologians call that the sin of omission, the things that you omit, the things that you don't do. But here's the good news tonight, that because God is loving and compassionate and merciful, whether it's the things you did that you shouldn't have done or the things that you should have done that you didn't do, Jesus paid it all. Christ died for our sins, and he wasn't forced to do so. He went to the cross willingly. He wanted to go. The book of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That joy was to be able to reconcile you to God and call you his people. Jesus' death on the cross is where we see both the justice and holiness and righteousness of God, but also the love and compassion and mercy of God because God gave up what he treasured most, his son. And Jesus came and lived the life you should have lived and died the death that you deserve to die so that by his death you might live. He was rejected so you could be accepted. He was righteous, but he died for you, the unrighteous. He was holy, but he died for you, those who are unholy. The, the just dies for the unjust. And in that cross we see the God behind the gospel. So, so how do you respond? Well, how do you respond? Well, Paul says earlier in a couple verses before, he says, I hope that you don't believe in vain. We respond by believing, by trusting, by placing our faith in Jesus and what he has done and trusting that this, this cross shows us the God behind the gospel. Not something that we've made up in our imaginations, but the God who has revealed himself in this world to broken sinners like you and me. Who is now our Heavenly Father because we've been reconciled. Who now we have access to. Did you catch that part where the curtain tore in two in the temple signifying that God is now no longer separated from man through Jesus Christ, we can be united to God as our Father. That's good news.
And that's really what the Lord's Supper is about. It's about seeing the cross. It's about seeing the God behind the gospel. It's just bread and it's just juice, but it represents what tonight is all about. A Friday that's good for us because it was very bad for Jesus. It represents his body being broken and his blood being shed so that you and I could live in the love of God. This table is open for anyone uh, who believes in Jesus. The Lord's Supper isn't something that we say you have to be a member of New City to, be, to take part of. But there's a couple things I want to point out to you as we, as we partake of this. Um, it's not a religious ceremony that we do. We're not trying to play church. It's actually deeply significant for, uh, for those of us who go, the cross is my only hope. I don't have any other hope before God unless I lean on the cross. And so if you're here tonight and you're part of another church, we welcome you to take the Lord's Supper with us. Um, if, if that's not you and you're not sure where you are in your spiritual journey, uh, just let the elements pass by. You don't have to pretend. No, one, no one's judging. We all went through that process of exploring who Jesus was and we weren't sure where we are. So just let the elements pass, but, but pray and ask the Lord to reveal himself to you. Uh, kids, I know we have some kids who are here tonight. Um, the process that we go through with our children is that we have them meet with elders after they've been baptized. And so we ask that they've been baptized and they meet with elders. And if that's happened, then they're allowed to partake of the Lord's Supper with us. So, so kids, if you haven't done that, maybe tonight's tonight you go, what is that table all about? And you begin to explore what this shape means, right? And so if you're a kid here tonight and you're going, I want to know more about the cross, maybe you watch your parents take communion. And you ask them about it afterwards. And you say, Mom and Dad, what does that mean? What, tell me more about the shape of the cross. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.